Thank you for joining us today. In this series, Ask, Pastor James tackles the most commonly asked questions in church. We hope this enlightens and inspires you to move forward in your walk with God. We've been uh, tackling some of the tough questions that people have regarding faith, regarding church. Uh, and so I want to take it, since this is the last day of the series, I'm going to tackle the ultimate question about faith and about Christianity. And uh, I'll, I'm going to try to take my time and hurry. I'm not sure how that's going to work, but I'm going to try to take my time and hurry. But I want to be very clear on this because, like I said earlier today, I, I think it's awesome that we have people from so many different backgrounds. We have so many people in this room right now and in, in the overflow. We have people right now that were not raised in church, that don't know anything about church. Then we've got people from non-denominational, Methodist, Church of God, Pentecostal, holiness denomination, Baptist of all 12 different divisions of it, all those different Baptists, you know, united and divided and missionary and, and Southern, and, and we've got all those, and then we've got Catholics, we've got Presbyterians, we've got people that came from Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, Jesus, or Jehovah's Witness, More, we got them from, we are, we're a big smorgasbord of people in this house this morning. And every one of us came in. Some of us came in knowing Jesus. Some of us came in seeing the religious version of Jesus. And some of us came in thinking we didn't want nothing to do with Jesus. We just came to, to, to please somebody. But here's the crazy thing. Here we are this morning, just like a big old magnet. The Holy Ghost has drawn us together. Some of you got saved for the first time. Some of you recommitted your life. And here we are, all of us loving Jesus together on a Sunday morning in September. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that amazing? And so uh, I want to tackle a question that some of you have been raised one way. Some of you have maybe been raised to believe another way. Some of you may not really be sure what you believe on this subject. So here's what I'm going to do. I know statistically speaking and biblically speaking, if you look at the statistics, I'm going to, I'm going to have at least half of you in this room disagree with me. At least half, okay? At least half of you are going to disagree. Here's what I want you to do. I want all of you to take what I say this morning, because I'm not going to give you the gospel according to James Coffey. I'm going to give you the gospel according to Jesus Christ. I'm going to particularly read it out of the King James Version, but it's going to be the Bible. And here's what I, I challenge everybody in the house to do. If you like it or you don't like it, go home and study it for yourself. I'm going to give you scriptures. This is what I, I don't ever want anybody to, to go off believing something just because I preached or I taught it. I want you to study it out for yourself. Know what the word of God says about it and, and then base your faith upon the word of God. But now let me say this before I get into the word. I'm not saying go home and try to twist it to mean what you want it to mean. I'm saying go home, and if God said it, you know it's the fact. And, and in case you don't know that God said it, I'm going to stick it on this big old screen for you this morning. All right, here we go. Matthew chapter number 19. Look at your neighbor and just nudge him and say, here we go. Look at your other neighbor and just nudge him and say, here we go. He's about to lose half the crowd, so we got to amen twice as hard. All right, you ready? Here we go. Matthew 19, verse number 16. Here's what your Bible says. It says, and behold, one came and said unto him, talking about he came to Jesus and said, good master, what good things shall I do that I may have eternal life? And he said unto him, this is Jesus replying, why callest thou me good? There is none good but one, and that is God. And the reason he's saying that, is because at the time he's speaking this, in the beginning of chapter uh, uh, number 19, Jesus has all the Pharisees have come together, and they're trying to get Jesus to stumble in his words. They're trying to make him look like a fool. And so Jesus, knowing he's surrounded by these Pharisees that have forbidden anybody to profess that Jesus is the Christ or the Son of God or the Messiah, Jesus knows that he is in a place where, where these people are scared. They are under religious persecution, and they are afraid to admit that they believe Jesus might be the Son of God. And so Jesus is proving a point here to the Pharisees when this guy comes up and he says, Good master, and Jesus said, Why are you calling me good? There's none good but God. Are you saying I'm the Son of God? 
So he's, that's kind of the scenario he's throwing out right there. He's saying, there is none good but God, but if thou wilt enter into life, keep the commandments. The man said back to him, which, and Jesus said, thou shalt do no murder, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness, honor thy father and thy mother. Now I want you to notice all of these things that Jesus is doing. He is, he's mentioning all the commandments that are from number four, or from number five all the way down to number ten. If you look at the ten commandments in the order that Jesus gave them in the book of Exodus, the first four commandments refer to our relationship with God. Commandments number five through ten refer to our relationship with one another, how we're supposed to treat people. The people that Jesus is dealing with right here are religious people that focus everything between them and God, and they don't care anything about how they treat people. We still got this problem in the church world today. People want to come in. They can sing their hymn book. They can go through the religious cycle in motion, but if you treat people like crap, you're still missing the point. Can somebody say amen? Yes, I did just say that word. It slipped. I promised my wife I wouldn't say that word anymore in this microphone, and it slipped, but it, you've got to treat people. If Jesus is really living, I got tab tickled now. If Jesus is really living on the inside, it not only affects your worship and the way that you say amen and, and, and the fact that you want to go to church. If you are really, if Jesus is living down on the inside, it will change the way you treat people. It will change it. That's why it does no good for me to get up here and preach all day long about feeding the hungry if we don't actually go and feed the hungry. We can come in here and take up offerings and have beautiful stained glass windows, but if people are hungry and naked and homeless and we ain't doing nothing to make a difference, you can love God all you want, but Jesus is saying you've also got to learn to love people. Not just those people that you like, but them people you want to choke. You got to learn to love them all. So then notice when, when he says, keep the commandments, he said, I've done all these since my, since my youth. I love God and I pay my tithe and I do all this. So Jesus starts reading the commandments out or, or quoting the commandments that refer to people. Don't murder, don't commit adultery, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness, honor thy father and mother, and thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Now that right there is not one of the Ten Commandments. That's one of Jesus' two commandments. So he just kind of threw that in there for free. Love your neighbor as yourself. And the young man said unto him, all these things have I kept from my youth up. What do I lack? What lack I yet? So in other words, he's saying, I got these Ten Commandments down. I've got it. What, what is it that I'm missing so far? Apparently it's pride, but Jesus hits it this way. Jesus said unto him, if thou will be perfect... If that will be perfect. Now, right here, I'm going to bust up just about everybody in the room that thinks, well, nobody's perfect. Jesus is telling him it is possible to be perfect. Jesus, not, not James, Jesus. If that will be perfect. People say it's impossible to live a life without sin. Then why did Jesus tell the woman that was caught in the act of adultery and was about to be stoned when the men dropped their stones and she turned around and Jesus said, where are your accusers? She said, there are none. Jesus said, then go and sin no more. If it's impossible, why would Jesus set her up for failure? Now, let me say this. There are no perfect people because all of us are born in sin. The Bible says our righteousness is as filthy rags. But it's a total different subject when we use that excuse our whole Christian life to make mistakes. Well, I ain't perfect. That's why I cussed her out. Well, I ain't perfect. That's why I punched him in the nose. Well, I ain't perfect. That's why I told them what I thought about it. Come on now. My ameners are going to... But come on, let's, let's just get real this morning. I'm not preaching to y'all something that I perfected myself. This is a struggle. But this is what I see. You know, I talk all the time about my road rage. And I said, you know, I'm a work in progress. And then Jesus pointed out to me, bro, you ain't progressing. You as crazy as you was when you started. And so it's, it is possible. We are to grow. We are to be perfected. In our Christian walk, as the process goes on, that means if you turned around, you got saved, and six months from then, you were still beating people up. Six years from now, you ought not to be beating people up so much. Amen. Amen? It's a progression. And this is what Jesus said. If you will be perfect, if you really want to reach the mark. Now, notice what he said. If thou will be perfect, go and sell all that thou hast and give it to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven. Now, Jesus right now is talking to a rich man, so he's referring to money. But Jesus is not saying, if you live like a pauper, you're going to be perfect. That's not what he's saying. Because his issue was money. Your issue may be your attitude. It may be anger management problems. It, it, may, it could be anything. It could be lust. It could be perversion. But what Jesus is saying is, if you really want to be perfect, tackle your problems. 
Deal with your issues. Face your struggles head on. So he said, sell all your treasure and give it to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven. But this part right here applies to everybody. When you deal with your issues, this is what he said, and come and follow me. That's the end result for everybody. If we're going to get to heaven, it ain't because you got baptized and your name got put on a church book. It's because you decided to follow Jesus. That's what's going to get us to heaven. Can somebody say amen? Oh, my! you don't understand, preacher. My daddy was a pastor. I was raised to know the Bible. The hell is filled with people that know the Bible. The Bible said that demons and devils know the scripture, and they tremble in fear at the name of Jesus. The devil knows the Bible. The devil can quote the Bible. He was dumb enough. He tried to quote the word to the word. Jesus was in the wilderness. John 1 says he is the word, and the devil's trying to trip the Bible up with the Bible. So Satan knows the Bible. He knows the scripture. That is, you have to follow him. I ain't even read my text yet, and I'm already wanting to preach. But when the young man heard that, that, that saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Here's what I want to preach on this morning, and then we're going to pray. How do I know that I'm really saved? How do I know that I'm really saved. Father, I ask you in the next few moments you would give me clarity of speech and I pray right now that you would speak through me and I rebuke and I bind right now in the name of Jesus every religious spirit, every prideful spirit, every hindrance that the devil would bring against your people. I may tick half the room off, but here's what I want to do, God. I don't want to make anybody happy. I want to get them to heaven. I want them to know that when they lay their head down at night that they are right with you. So I ask you, Father, to take my speech, make it yours, speak your word, and have your way. In Jesus' name, Holy Spirit, move in a mighty way among us today. Amen and amen. So I want to draw attention back to one thing that Jesus said. If thou will be perfect, if you want to be perfect, and for anybody that may say, you know, may may still kind of be on the hinge and be like, well, preacher, there's there's nobody perfect. I want to read a scripture to you real quick, and this one's not going to be on the screen because God has been feeding this stuff to me all week long to the point I'm going to preach half my sermon off my cell phone this morning because God was still speaking stuff to me this morning 10 minutes before church. But I want to read a scripture to you, and you can write this down or put it in your phone if you want to. I'm reading from Hebrews chapter number 6, verses number 1 through 6. Hebrews 6, 1 through 6. This is what the apostle Paul told the church that they needed to do. This is what he told the Jewish church they needed to do, the Jewish Christian church. He said, therefore leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ. In other words, let's not keep doing Noah, uh, led the animals on the ark our whole life. Let's move on from the bedtime stories. Leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us go on unto perfection. Let us go on unto perfection. And then he goes on, and this is what he says. He begins to lay some of the doctrines of the faith of the church. He said, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, of the doctrine of baptisms. And and there's there's several different doctrines on baptisms about today, about how and and why. And and some people will preach today, and and some of you may have come from that faith that uh, when you get baptized, you're not supposed to be baptized the way Jesus said in Matthew 28. You know, you're to be baptized, Jesus said, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. And some people believe you're only supposed to be baptized in the name of Jesus. And, And they believe if you're not baptized only in the name of Jesus, then you're baptized wrong. But this is the crazy thing. Jesus said it 2,000 years ago, the apostolic or the Jesus only faith did not come about until 1914 1914 so that means we got 1900 years of people that Jesus told them to baptize and it was wrong if that's wrong but I'm throwing that in for free that's not my message okay doctrines of baptisms and of laying on of hands and of resurrection of the dead and of eternal judgment and this will we do if God permits here's what Paul is doing he's going through all the foundational things about how Jesus is the savior that there is an eternity that there is a heaven there is a hell there's basic doctrine stuff that we need to know you need to know what you believe can Somebody say amen. If you if you run into somebody, you may run into an atheist one day, or you may run into somebody that doesn't know Jesus that asks you legitimate questions about your faith. You need to know what you believe because they're not interested. If they're talking to you in that, that moment, they're not interested in what your mamma said and what your papa believed and what your pastor preached. They want to know what do you believe. 
And, and you need to know those foundational truths of, of Jesus died on the cross. He rose on the third day. He walked with them for 40 days. He ascended unto heaven. And Jesus is coming back. I don't care what happens in our economy. I don't care what happens in society. I don't care if it's a Democrat president or a Republican president. Nothing changes the fact that Jesus is coming back. Jesus is coming back. Don't get too upset over all the stuff you see on the news. Don't get too upset when things don't turn out in life the way that you wanted them to. You have the promise that one of these days Jesus is coming back. And because he went away, he said, I went away to prepare you a place, but I'm coming back to get you so that where I am, there you may be also. But not only that, you have the promise of this. No matter what you go through in life, Jesus is with you. And some of you thinking, bro, how's he going to come back and he's with me? That don't make any sense. The Holy Spirit is Christ with us. And the Holy Spirit will not leave you. The Bible said he sticketh closer than a brother. He's here to comfort you. He's here to empower you. He's here to direct you, to guide you, to encourage you, to convict you. He's here. So God, no matter what you're going through life, God is here for you. You need to know the basic concepts, the basic principles of what you believe. But here it is. When you come to Jesus and you find him and you ask him to forgive you of your sins and you repent of your sins, which means you were going your way and you chose to go God's way, that means you got to let go of your ideas and your plan and choose God's way and his plans. And when you make that decision and you put your faith in Christ, that is awesome. And that is, an, that is, an, a, that is a turning point in your life. But there's more to being a Christian than coming up here. There's more that some people think that being a Christian, yeah, it's just, you know, I, I, I remember the lifestyle that I came from, you know, when I got saved at 17 years old and God brought me out of a lot of stuff. And I remember a lot of my friends, they's like, yeah, you know, man, that's cool for you, but religion ain't my thing. Bro, it ain't religion. It's relationship. I finally found somebody that was my eternal ride or die. He wasn't even only my ride or die. He was my ride and die. When I take my last breath, brother's still there. He ain't, he ain't here for me because I got gas money. He ain't here for me because I'm making money. He ain't here for me because we agree on everything. Jesus is with me when I'm going through hell, and Jesus is with me when I'm doing good. Jesus is with me when people like me. Jesus is with me when I'm all by myself. I've got a friend in Jesus that ain't going nowhere, and he's got my back. And even when I slip, he's still there, and he's still faithful, and he's still good. If you know Jesus loves you and you love him, give him a good hand clap of praise in this house. Let everybody else know Jesus is with me. He's with me. I got a relationship with him. That's, that's, the, also, that's the start. That's the launching pad. But it's about growth. If, if me and my wife, you know, when we started dating, you know, I remember, I, I had man, I had game. We got married. I had game. I mean, Jean, I would, you know, she couldn't, she couldn't resist it. I was like, girl, your eyes are so blue. Man, they're so blue, they like the ocean. And she looking at me like, boy, stupid. But he's got potential, you know. And, and, and when I met her, you know, it's, it's funny looking back now. I remember, you know, when we got, when we first started dating. As a matter of fact, we dated and then we broke up because she thought I was weird. But I thought, I, I didn't know what to do. I never dated a Christian girl. She's the first girl I ever dated with morals. So I was like, what do you do with that, you know? Can I hold her hand or am I burning in hell? I don't know. You know, I just, I talked about it some Wednesday night. We'll, we'll leave that on Wednesday night. But religious folk had me all messed up. I thought I had to get married at 15 or else I was, you know, it's like turn or burn, bro. You got to get married. You're, you're, uh, you know. And, and so when I started, when I started dating my wife, you know, I, I had game. And I was telling her, I was like, girl, your hair is so nice. You smell so good. You know. And I was telling her, and imagine, now we've been married 13 years, you know. 13 years. Yeah, and that's, I almost said something, I'm going to leave that alone. We, we, we've been married 13 years, so we're going on three times, breaking the, the, the national average. Most marriages don't make it to five years now, and so we're going past that. And, and, and our marriage has lasted longer than like 12 of the people in my family's marriages combined. And so, so I feel like, you know, we're on the right path. And we've been married 13 years. But if, I, if the only thing I had to offer her today was the same stuff I said back then, could you imagine after 13 years if I didn't know her any better now than I knew her then? 
And I was like, girl, your eyes is so blue. She'd be like, dude, quit. Give it up. You know why? Because, and some of you folks that's been married, you know, as long as we have or longer than we have, you know what I'm talking about. Your relationship evolves with time. It, it grows. You know, there's some stuff that he did that was cute when you was dating. You'd punch him in the mouth if he was still doing it today. You know what I'm talking about. Some of you husbands, like, you know, she did it, man. It was so cute back then. But now, and, that, and this is why I tell, you know, this is why I tell people, you got to be so careful while you date, especially teenagers, young adults. You got to be careful what you're looking in for a spouse. Because if there ain't no substance there, girls, he ain't always going to have a six-pack. He's going to be carrying a keg one day. His hair going to start to run away from his face. Come on now. That, that goatee he's got is so cute now. It's going to be white one day. I can testify to this, you know. But there's got to be some substance there. you got to build a relationship. And relationships are meant to grow. And that's exactly what our walk with Christ is supposed to be. It's supposed to be growth. You know, if you come to Jesus and the only thing you got, I've heard people say, you know, that they try to pray sometimes. And I'm not talking about when you're going through a struggle and you're heartbroken and you're really struggling. I'm talking about, you know, people say that they can't pray five minutes because they ain't got nothing to say. You know what the problem is? You're still telling Jesus he's cute. But you go through enough hell, you got something to say. Jesus bring you out of some stuff, you got some stuff to say. You get a bad diagnosis and God healed you when they said he wouldn't. You got some stuff. Me and Jesus can get away. We can talk a long time. Because, honey, we ain't dating no more. We married and we celebrating an anniversary. I know him. He knows me. We'll be on the cute stage. It's, it's a relationship. And this is what he's saying. You perfect your relationship. Because I do some stuff now that the Rebecca, if, if I do some stuff now, if we were still dating, she'd probably checked out. She's like, amen, 12 times over this week. But our relationship has grown. And I know her better. She knows me better. And, and that's why some people can't stick with Jesus. And they can't stick with Christianity. This is the problem with marriage in our culture is people want to treat marriage like it's dating. Well, if it don't work out, I get a divorce. No, you made a covenant. You made a promise. Now, if you got grounds for divorce, but if you want to divorce her because you just don't feel the same way and you want to divorce him because he don't look the same way, you better check yourself. Amen. I'm not talking about grounds. I'm talking about if you just getting divorced because you found something better. Man, I'm telling you, I feel the preaching coming on this morning. They, they substance. It's, it's a relay. It's a commitment. And people can't commit with pizza to another person because they've never taken time to learn how to commit to God. I'm not a Christian because everything's good. I'm not a Christian because he's Santa Claus and gives me everything I ask for. I'm a Christian because he did what I could not do. He died on the cross and paid a debt he didn't know and paid a debt I couldn't pay. And he did it on my behalf. I serve God not because I feel like it. I serve God because he's been better to me than I I could have ever done for myself it's relationship it's relationship and I gotta skip on because my introduction is lasting way too long it's about relationship in a relationship is growth in a relationship is perfection it means we're not spotless but we're closer than what we were so I want to tackle some things this morning because here's my goal this morning Somewhere around three, four hundred people in this building. I want to make sure everybody that leaves this house this morning has a clear understanding of how do I know that I'm really saved. Because some people will tell you you're saved because you joined the church. It's a lie. Some people will tell you you're saved because you're baptized. It's a lie. Some people will say that you're saved because you, you were dedicated as a child. It's a lie. It is not Bible. This is the word of God. Not the doctrine of the church. Not the belief of the denomination. Not the minute book of an organization. The Bible is the word of God. And it needs no help. It needs no assistance. He wrapped that up in John chapter number 22. And he said, if anybody adds anything to this book, I will add the plagues of revelation to them. And if anybody takes away from this book, he said, I will blot your name out of the book of life. So this is, so I want you to know 
Even if it's not what you've been taught, even if it's not what you want to hear, even if it's not what I want to say, I want every one of us to leave this place today knowing, am I really saved? Or in other words, am I ready to go to heaven? Do I really know Jesus? Is God really smiling down on me or is he very frustrated with me? So I'm going to give you four things that you can use to determine Am I really saying? I challenge you. Write them down. Text them to yourself. Don't just text them to somebody that you know. Mm-hmm, he's a heathen. He needs to be saved. He needs to know this. You know, write this stuff down and, and think on this. I want you to know that you've got this down. Here it is. Are you ready? Number one, your priorities will tell you if you're really saying. Your priorities. I'm going to give you some scripture for it. Matthew chapter number six, verse 19. They're going to put it on the screen for me. Jesus said, lay not up for yourself treasures upon the earth where moth and rust does corrupt and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor, nor rust does corrupt and where thieves do not break through or steal. Right here it is. Here, here's the big one. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Let me give you a prime example for this. Nobody cares about what happens to the stock market except people who have money in the stock market. You have, it doesn't matter to you, Dow's up, Dow's down. You're like, what does that, who, I don't even know who Dow is. Never even met the guy a day in my life. People don't care until they have something invested in it. Then they met. You know why? Because their heart's there. That's their treasure. That's, that's where they care. People don't, and the people ain't worried about, you know, if, if you get it, let me just be real. If you hear on the news that such and such bank just got robbed, you know, you're like, oh, that's terrible. But if you got money there, even if you know the FDIC got you covered, you about to flip out. Who took my money? Where is it at? Because you've got money. Somebody loses their wallet. Nobody cares. You lose your wallet. Everybody stop. Where's my wallet at? You know what I'm, because it's your, tra- it's, you've got something invested in it. Let me tell you how, well, number one factor you can tell, is Jesus number one in my life? Is he number one in your life? Does he even cross your mind on the day to day? I do not go to church because going to church makes me a Christian. Setting in this room does not make me a Christian. Thinking that your Jesus teaches, that does not make you a Christian. I can go and sit in my garage all day. It don't make me a car. Being in the church does not make me a Christian. I don't go to church because, I want to, because I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian. That's why I come to church. I don't come to church because I'm the pastor. Because I went to church before I became a pastor. I don't go to church because I got a paycheck. Because I did things for free for multiple years and invested all my money into it. And before I ever did ministry as an occupation. And let me tell you, it's the hardest occupation I ever did. And I've done some crazy occupations before. You see some crazy stuff in ministry. But if it's what you're called to do, you know you're called to do it. But this is the reality of it. If Jesus is really number one in my life, he's number one in my life. That means when I look at my marriage... I want to be married according to biblical principles. I want to raise my children according to biblical principles. You can, you, you can hail Mary. You can sing hymns. You can go to church all you want. You can sit on the front row. You can sing in the praise team. You can pastor the church and split hell wide open. Because if Jesus is not my number one priority, this is what he said. Nobody that isn't willing to forsake. So as a matter of fact, you can go on down in Matthew 19, that scripture we just read. He'll say it later on down there. He said, if you're not willing to forsake husband, wife, mother, father, children, neighbors, land, houses, money, you're not fit for the kingdom. And that's not saying Jesus is saying you need to get rid of your wife if you're going to be saved. No, that's not what he's saying. He's saying I've got to be number one. Jesus refuses. Let me tell you, I don't care how talented we are. I don't care what tithe we pay. I don't care how long you've been in church. Nobody is in church because they, because they earned it or because they deserved it. Nobody is in the kingdom of God because they earned it or they deserved it. We are all here by mercy and grace. That's, that's what brings it all. And Jesus refuses to be my back burner. 
If he's not my number one, he will be my nothing at all. So my priorities, and I'm not talking about, you know, being priority because this is one thing that I found. When you're in love with somebody, you think about it all the time. You think about them all the time. I mean, you can be brushing your teeth and just start thinking about them. You can be fixing your hair. You can be picking your hair up that fell out, and you're thinking about them. When you love somebody, when you love something, you know, you, you've driven an old rust bucket for 20 years, and you get you a new car. You know what you're doing? You're at work thinking, man, I just want to drive. I just want to drive. I just want to get in and, and just drive. You know, you, you, you've been living in a house, but then you get that dream house that you work so hard for. You think about it all the time. Why? Because it's your heart. It's a priority. You want to take care of it. That's your baby. You want All of you mothers that have ever had a child, you know exactly what I'm talking about. That's your priority. Your husband can wait. Everything else can wait. Going back to work can wait. That's your priority. Why would we not treat Jesus that way? If he doesn't consume my thoughts and he doesn't consume my heart, I need to ask myself, if Jesus isn't my number one, how do I know that I'm really? Because Jesus said where my treasure is. And if my treasure and my heart is with him, he's going to be on my mind. And he's going to be an important priority in my life. Man, I could go all day on that, but I'm going to skip on. You ready? Here's number two. How do I know that I'm really saved? This is a big one. My commitment. My commitment. This right here is one of the hardest things for people in America. Is because our, many people in our society, they're not, they're not committed to their job. They'll go through 15 jobs in 12 months. And it's not every, every time they come out, well, that job wasn't for me. Well, that job was stupid. Or my manager was a... <laughs> and we got all... But then they can't commit to a relationship. Well, he was too tall. He was too short. He was too fat. He was too skinny. He was rich. He was broke as a joke. And we've got excuses on why we can't commit to people and why we can't commit to jobs. People will have 20... Man, I'll tell you what. I better watch that. I'm about to get in trouble. You own 35 cars in your life and you're 21 years old. Well, I just ain't found something. Why don't you get something? In? I, I've, I've literally met people before that would get rid of their car because they, and I'm not preaching on you, JT, because I know this happened this week, so I just want to say I'm not preaching on you. I thought of that right when I said that because he was in my office this week and he sold his truck because of a water pump or something like that. But it, 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 if a part costs 20 bucks, people will sell it and go six grand more in debt just because they didn't want to fix the part. Come in. I'm not preaching on you, JT. I'm not preaching on you. But commitment, commitment is such a hard thing for most people in society. And, and this is something that, this is where I'm going to get in my first part of trouble. Commitment is a requirement of salvation. Now, the two denominations that I know the most that have had this, this you know, this different in, in terminology, it's not really a different in beliefs, I don't think, I think it's a different in terminology, is the Church of God or the Pentecostal people have had something that they call backsliding, which means you can know Jesus and you can fall away from your faith and still go to hell. Even though you, you gave your heart to Jesus, you can still go to hell. It's called backsliding. Now, the Baptist church or, or the, the, the majority of Baptist churches and, and other denominations fall in the midst, but these two uh, in, in particular have uh, what seems to be opposite beliefs. And the Baptist church has what most people would call once saved, always saved. That means when I've been saved, there's nothing I can do to, to lose my salvation because there's nothing I can do to earn it. And both of them really believe the same thing. They just call it differently. And this is how. Because the Pentecostal church or the church of God believes that you can ask Jesus into your heart and mean it with all your heart and then turn around and fall out and go to hell. But the Baptist church believes the once saved, always saved. They believe that if you leave that altar, you prayed and asked Jesus in your heart and you left and nothing changed, you didn't pray through. That's the words they use. You didn't pray through. So neither one of them believe you can come and pray and go to live like hell and you're still making it to heaven. Neither of them believe it. They just term it differently. These people believe you didn't pray through. These people believe you did pray through, but you let go. But either way, let me tell you what the Bible says about it this morning. Just because you prayed, just because you were put down on a membership of a church, you could have been baptized, you could have, you could have done the whole nine years, you can go to hell even though you ask Jesus in your heart. 
I'm going to give you scripture for it this morning. You can call it backsliding. You can call it not praying through. You can call it whatever you want. But just because you go to church and just because you ask Jesus, and this right here is, is, is a big controversial subject for people in the church. But let me tell you, I'd rather you die mad at me and make it to heaven than to have 800 people in this house and know half of them's going to hell and I'm too cowardly to, to tell them about it. I, I refuse. I'm not going to have that blood on my conscience. I'm not going to have it on my hands. Let me give you Bible for it. Are you ready? Matter of fact, I, I'm going to read a scripture that I don't have on here here in a minute, but I'm going to read this one first. Luke chapter number 6, verse 44. And you can write these down. Like I said, don't just take it because I said it. Write it down. Go home and read it for yourself. For every tree is known by his own fruit. This is Luke 6. Verse 44, for of thorns men do not gather figs, nor of bramble bush gather they grapes. A good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth, oh, I'm, I'm so sorry, I'm reading the wrong scripture, so sorry. Ecclesiastes chapter number five, my bad, my bad, Sean. Ecclesiastes chapter number five, I scrolled my iPad up and didn't see it. Ecclesiastes five, verse number four, when thou vowest a vow unto God, defer not to pay it. For he hath no pleasure in fools. Pay that which thou hast vowed. Now notice this. Better is it that thou shouldest not vow than that thou shouldest vow and not pay. In other words, don't even, don't even tell God you're going to if you know you're not going to. Now, this is not just referring to salvation. This is those little promises that we make and we laugh about when we watch Medea. When she says, Lord, if you get me out of jail, I promise you I'm going to be in the church Sunday morning. And she's driving right by the church laughing about it. This is the same principle in our, because how many times do we make God promises knowing good and well we ain't going to do it? This is what he says. It's better to have never promised it than to make God a vow or a promise and not keep it. Luke chapter number 9, verse number 61. Luke 9 and 61 says, And another also said, Lord, I will follow thee, but let me first go bid them farewell, which are at home in my house. Jesus said unto him, No man having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. He desires, he requires a commitment. You see, to us, salvation, and you're going to like this, to us, salvation is about forgiveness. But to God, it's about commitment. To us, it's about salvation. It's about the fact that we've been forgiven, for, you know, we've been forgiven and we've been washed away. Jesus doesn't save us just to forgive us. That's, that's our benefit. Jesus saves us for a commitment to know that we are his. We have to surrender. I want to read this scripture to you, 2 Peter chapter 2, verse number 20. For if after they have escaped the pollutions of the world, and this will give it to you plain as day, after they've escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are if they are again entangled therein and overcome. In other words, if you give your heart to Jesus and you go back to the same stuff you came for, he said, this is what Peter said, the latter end is worse with them than than the beginning for it had been better for them to have never known the way of righteousness than to after they have known it to turn from the holy commandments delivered to them but it has happened unto them according to the true proverb the dog is turned to his own vomit again and the pig has turned returned back to that which she was washed of in other words God requires Commitment. If there ain't nothing in your life changing from the version of you that first went to Jesus, or am I really saved? Because being saved means this. It means I am in a growth process. It is an evolution. If I came to Jesus sleeping around and I'm still sleeping around, if I came to Jesus lying and cheating and I'm still lying and cheating, if I came to Jesus as a homosexual and I know in the scripture that the Bible says that is an abomination and a stench in God's nostril, if there's no change, how can Paul, how can Paul say when I come to Jesus, behold, all things have passed away and all things have become new and nothing's new. Then how can I say that I'm in salvation? But John said it like this. They came to John and they were questioning him about Jesus. This is what he said. You have to understand what the Christ is about. And this is what Jesus came for. I must decrease. He must increase. My life is no longer about my will and my plan and my purpose. It's about the fact that he is God and he is what I need. And he requires a 
commitment of me. And this is why. This is why I cannot continue to live in sin. Now, I'm not saying you're going to be perfect. That's why the Bible said, now therefore, putting on perfection, going on into perfection, just because I'm not perfect today is not an excuse for me to wallow in it. It's mercy. But one day mercy will expire. When Jesus comes back, mercy has ended. And if it has not been applied to my life, then I will stand in my sin. And here's what the problem, here's, here's, here's where the dilemma comes. The Bible says God is a holy God. And in his presence, no sin can dwell. So if I come in, if, if this shirt right here that I'm wearing, if this is my sin and I come to Jesus with my sin on, he cannot permit me to enter into the presence of the Father. Because this sin that I refuse to get forgiveness for, this means I live life knowing the Bible said it was wrong. And I put it on every Sunday. And I sing, holiness, holiness is what I long for. Holiness is what I need. But I go right back home the same me. If I do not let Jesus take this sin off of me, then I am not permitted to enter the kingdom. I will stand at the gate of heaven. I believe I will see the great white throne of God. My God, I feel the Holy Ghost this morning. I will see the presence. But do you know that the Bible says that you won't see him? You know why? Because the Bible says in Matthew 5, only the pure in heart shall see God. You'll see his presence, and you'll stand at that, at that gate, and Jesus will look at you, and he'll say, you're not, you can't enter in. And I'll say, Lord, this is what the Bible says. Did not we prophesy in your name? Did not we cast out devils in your name? That is proof that these people were saved. Because you cannot cast out a devil unless it be by the power of God. Because the scripture Jesus said, Beelzebub cannot cast out Beelzebub. You have to be saved. This is born again Christians he's talking to. Did not we cast out devils and heal the sick in your name? Jesus will look and say, depart from me, you workers of iniquity. And then it's a step farther. My God, let me, let me tell you how you know a lot of church people ain't going to make it. This is how you know. They'll say, Lord, why not? He'll say, because I was hungry and you did not feed me. Oh, but we had a banging church choir. Man, we could sing and we would rattle the shit. But Jesus said, I was naked and you didn't clothe me. I was in prison and I was sick and you did not. When, Lord, did we see you in prison and when did we see you sick? Jesus don't care how good we have church. He cares how good we are the church. Is it making it anywhere outside of the parameter of our full wall sanctuary? Lord, when did we see you hungry and naked and destitute of, of daily things? And we did. He said, because when you did it, not to the least of those. You didn't do it unto me. If this is my sin. If this, is, if this is my lust, my anger, my whatever it may be. And how do you know, preacher, if, if you're to a point to where you're not really saved? Am I committed? Not saying that I mess up. I'm saying am I trying? Really trying. Not making excuses. But when I come to that altar and I say, Jesus, forgive me. He knows. Lord, come hell or high water, I'm going to stick with you. I may fall down, but bless God, I'm getting back up. I may be stumbled. My clothes may be wrinkled. I may not look put together, but I'm going to make it. If it's the last thing I do, I'm going to get up. I'm going to bleed your blood, and I'm going to keep pushing. My commitment, my commitment. You show me a half-hearted Christian, I'll show you a whole-hearted non-Christian. You, you, you can't, there is no fence to ride. It's right or it's right. It's, it's righteousness or it's sin. God requires a commitment. And when I learn to commit to God, I can learn to commit to my spouse. I can learn to commit to my kids. I can learn to commit to things in my life. I'm not saying you'll never have. And don't get me wrong. When I'm saying you go through 15 jobs and 12, I'm not saying you're not going to take a better opportunity. But I'm saying you're going to have some stickability about you. They saw every time something comes along, you ain't going to backslide and go get high. If it's really inside of your heart. Then I don't turn to porn every time it goes wrong. 
I don't turn to alcohol every time it doesn't go the way I wanted to. I stop making excuses. And I realize, you know what, God? I'm in it. I'm in it. I'm not halfway in it. I'm in it. I'm in it with, when I'm broke. I'm in it when I'm broken. I'm in it when I'm discouraged. I'm in, I'm in it when I don't see no light. I'm in it when I don't see no hell. I'm in it when ain't nobody here to pray for me. I'm here when Carrie Job ain't on the radio. I'm here when Caleb is staticky and I can't hear what they say. I'm here, Lord. I'm here. When I ain't got a Bible to read, I'm going to sit down and quote what I do know. Lord, I am in it. I'm in it. When my husband leaves, I'm in it. If my wife left me, I'm in it. If my kids don't want to talk to me, I'm in it. I'm in it. I'm in it. If the church shuts down, I'm in it. If the pastor backslides, I'm in it. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the wall, I'm in it and I refuse. I refuse to quit. I've come too far. I survived too much. I pressed too long. I pushed too hard. I'm in it and I refuse to quit. See, anybody that's in it, give the Lord a hand clap of praise and let that devil know I'm in it. I'm in it. I ain't quitting. I ain't giving up. I'm in it. I'm in it. I'm in it. Commitment, priorities. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Another way you can determine, am I really saved? What are you saying? Because your words will reveal to you, am I really saved? Am I really, is God really number one? Now Luke 6 and 44 that I started to read a minute ago. Every tree is known by its own fruit. For if thorns, men do not gather figs of bramble bush. They do not grab, uh, gather grapes. A good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth that which is good. An evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart brings forth that which is evil. For of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaketh. What's in my heart will come out of my mouth. James said it this way. He said, one fountain does not bring forth salt water and fresh water. It's one or the other. The words that I speak will reveal what is in my heart. That's why it amazes me. Man, I'm telling you what. Yeah, I'm going to go ahead and say it, Jesus. I may be in this house having church by myself next week, but I'm going to go ahead and say it. That's why it's confusing to the world. If you love Jesus and hate the devil, share this. Well, yes, I do love Jesus and hate the devil. F this and F that and F this and F that. Oh, that's funny. Click. And the people scrolling down your wall, and they see you in church, and then they see her half naked. You know what that is? That's salt water and fresh water trying to come out of the same fountain. And the world sees it, and they're confused, and God sees it, and he's disappointed. God does not care what you share on your Facebook page unless it is a reproach to what you're professing to be. Let me say that again. You will not go to heaven because of what you share, but you can't easily go to hell because of what you share. Why? Because it's your heart. This right here is what God's after. He's not after your money. He's not after your house. He's not after your coolness. He's not after your popularity. He's not after your social status. God is after this thing right here. He don't care if you make six figures. He don't care if you're broke and living on the street. He cares for your heart. He wants your heart. He don't want your talent. He don't want your family name. He don't want the status. He wants your heart. Because if he has your heart, he has all of you. He can get all your stuff and still not have your heart. It's your heart. It's your heart. I don't care how much you go to youth group. I don't care if you are in the drama team. I don't care if you do sing in the praise team. It's your heart. He wants your heart. Because of what comes out of here is what's right here. It, 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 it scares me. It scares me when I see preachers. That can run down everybody in their church and still get up and preach to them like they love them. Scares me. Scares me when preachers can go around cussing and throwing perverse. I'm going to say something, and I'm, I'm just going to go ahead and it, it, it bothered me when one of the largest churches in America's worship pastor got on social media a month ago saying how his wife was a bad ASS. Worship pastor. 
of a 20,000 member church and many of the people in our church are following them on social media and they do that you know that bothers me as a pastor because that is leading people down the wrong direction saying this is okay and if it's sin it's not okay if it's sin it is not permissible he is a holy God he is a righteous God he's holy And what will get me into heaven or keep me from heaven is not the length of my hair or do I wear jewelry, do I wear shorts, do I wear pants, do I wear men. It's my heart. Is my heart his? Am I living for him? Is he my number one priority? I can be as religious as anybody in the world and split hell wide open. It's my heart. And what comes out of this thing right here represents him. And I don't care who gets mad at me. I don't care who emails me in Facebook. It's my heart. What I say matters. Because number one, the power of life and death is in that thing right there. It's in my tongue. If I speak destruction, if I speak discouragement, if I speak depression, I will have exactly what I say. Why? Because I'm created in the image of God, and what he speaks comes to pass. Period. It's my heart. And what I speak, my priorities reveal it to God. My mouth reveals it to God. My commitment reveals, am I really there? And I'm going to say this, and I'm getting ready to close. My actions. Because some people got the speaking part down. It's the actions. How do you know that you're really saved? It's not all the things that you said when you're around your Christian friends. It's how you treat your non-Christian friends. Is it all right if I preach? I know Shoney's buff. I know the Shoney bar is up, and I, I promise y'all I'm, I'm not going to try to be much longer. But it, it bothers me. How many Christians treat their waitresses like garbage? They're in Food City. Man, I was, I was at Food City the other day, and I was talking to one of the clerks. And he starts asking me about church because I had one of my church shirts on. He started asking me about church, and he said, man, and I'm not saying this to boast on myself because I'm sure I've been on the other side of it at times too. He said, man, he said, you know what? It's so nice to see somebody with a church shirt that actually smiles. I was like, bro, are you kidding me? This stuff was on sale. <laughs> I was paying a dollar more for it over there at the other place. Are you kidding me? But the world, they're, they're watching. The world is watching, and they hear what I speak, and that matters. But it has to be followed up with my actions. What am I demonstrating? Not just what I'm professing, but what am I demonstrating? In James chapter number 2, verse number 14, this is what he says. What does it profit, my brethren, though a man may say, I have faith and have not works? Can faith save him? Notice that this is where I, got, this is where I hit it with a lot of church people. If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you say unto them, depart in peace, be you warmed and filled, notwithstanding you give them not those things which are needful to the body, what does it profit? You know, we actually had, man, I'm telling you what, I, I shouldn't say this, but I'm just going to let you all in on some of the fun that I have throughout the week. You know, we actually had somebody come to our office a few weeks ago asking if we could just provide about $20 worth of food. $20, that's all they wanted for the whole family. And we said, well, yeah, we've got a pantry. We'll come. So, so we go back there and give them a food box. And while we were giving them the food box, they said, I went to the church down the street and asked them. And they said to try you guys. Y'all, I ain't kidding. Am I, am I joking? Am I joking? I'm, I'm telling y'all as short as I'm standing here and my shoes are brown. I'm telling you the truth. We went to that $20. $20. I ain't going to tell you what church it is because that's shock you even more. $20. But the same churches preach, love the sinner. The same churches preach. We ain't a better church than anybody else. We ain't a worse church than anybody else. 
But I refuse. I refuse to have nice stuff and hurting people. I refuse. I refuse. One of these days by faith, I'm going to speak it in faith. One of these days by faith, we're going to have our walls painted. We're going to get there one day in Jesus' name. But if it comes down to walls painted or the gravy and biscuits that those little kids ate this morning when they got off that bus... If it comes to having fancy stuff and busting in them babies and putting them off and bringing them in church and telling them there is hope and there is help and there is a God that loves you. If it comes to being politically correct or preaching the truth, and going out and clothing 377 people. I'll take my chances with what I know is right. He said, what does it profit? And this is what verse 17 says. Even so faith, if it has not works, is dead being alone it's my actions it's my words it's my priorities it's my commitment let me tell you what God is looking for out of each and every single one of us in this room today every single one of us online in the overflow wherever you are this is what God is asking this is what he requires if I want to make it to heaven if I want to be forgiven this is what it takes he requires your whole heart your whole heart the best of you the worst of you everything you have and everything you don't every every dream every goal he doesn't want to squash it he wants to perfect it he wants my whole heart I'll say this and and then I'm getting ready to close I remember when I got saved, and I I was talking to some friends yesterday about this. I I remember when I got saved and I came to Jesus, I didn't know what being a Christian was. I didn't know that I couldn't do a lot of the things that I was doing. So I was going to church on Sunday and getting drunk on Friday. I was going to church on Sunday, still smoking weed. I joined the choir. I had no idea. Until, and it it sounds funny, but this is where it started for me. I got into a conversation with my pastor who was a, who was just an awesome man of God. And we got in a conversation one day and we got in not an argument, but it was a serious dispute because I could not get him to understand. Now, I listened to a different genre of music. I, I grew up musically. I was very confused. My brother listened to heavy metal. My parents listened to Reba McIntyre and Vern Gosden. And I listened to, to gangster rap. I was so confused, but I could tell you every song that that Iron Maiden and Guns N' Roses all the way down to uh, uh, Clint Black and all the way back to the rap music. I could tell you every bit of it. Hated most of it, but I could tell it to you. And so I was, my my knowledge or my, my growth journey started when I was trying to convince my pastor that Tupac was a Christian rapper. He was like, he is not. I said, he is too. He talks about God all the time. Does he cuss? Yeah, but he talks about God all the time. And I couldn't get, and so this is the challenge he gave me. He said, I want you to go home and listen. This is the only time he said, I'll ever tell you to listen to it. But he said, I want you to go home and listen to the music and really decide for yourself, is this Jesus? So I said, okay. So I went home and I started listening to it. I was about through the third song. I was like, oh, man, I'm going to hell. I'm going straight to hell. I got a one-way ticket. I'm in the front row. It blew my mind. And, and so I started my growth journey. And I, it was a slow process for me. I didn't grow very fast and I didn't grow very far. And I was living a life that was kind of like this. Man, I, I loved God and I loved church. And I love the thought of being forgiven. And I love the thought of going to heaven. 
But there was some stuff in my life I just could not let go of. That's how I felt. I felt like I just could. And I'm not telling you that this happens to everybody, but this is how it happened to me. I was sitting on the front seat one day, and the pastor was preaching. And I was doing stuff at the time I knew in my heart was not right. I knew it was not right. And I would go up every Sunday, and I'd say, Jesus, please forgive me. I was one of them. But you know, you ever seen people get saved every Sunday? That was me. I was getting saved every Sunday, sometimes twice on Sunday. And so I, 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 I remember I would go, and I would pray. And this one Sunday, I was sitting there, and I had gotten into the routine of it. And, and some of you know what I'm talking about. You ask for forgiveness, and you really know you're not going to change. And I'd pray, forgive me, Jesus. And then I'd go back, and I... And so this one Sunday, I was sitting there, and I knelt down on my knees. And I, I had rarely, at this time, I may have heard God speak one time in my life. And I knelt down at this altar, and I heard something almost like my conscience. It wasn't an audible voice, but I knew who it was. I knelt down, and went right when I started to pray, I said, Dear Jesus, this voice said, Stop it. Stop it. And he said, I'm not a switch that you can turn on and off. I don't want the Sunday you. I don't want half of you. I want everything or nothing at all. I want to know before you leave this place, are you in or are you out? Tears begin to stream down my face. When I begin to think of God in this light, and I thought, if I treated, if, if all the relationships in my life treated me like I treat God in this one, I would be so angry. I wouldn't give a second chance if people used me like I used God. I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't even give them the time of day. But yet I throw God to the side day after day after day. And eventually, he will get tired. And mercy will expire. That day may be today for someone. It may not be. But let me tell you what I've learned in the 16 years since that moment at the altar. It wasn't worth the risk of playing games with God. I'm not a Christian because I'm scared of hell. I ain't going to lie. I'm terrified of hell. You read that Bible, it's, it's, it's a scary thing. But I'm not a Christian because I'm terrified of hell. I'm a Christian because I am madly and deeply in love with someone who is madly and deeply in love with me.